Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's up, film geeks? Today's class is all about Marlowe, Liam Neeson, and film noir. Let's talk about it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host, and we are talking about Marlo today. We're just going to jump right into it. We have a lot to discuss. So this movie was originally scheduled for a 2022 release. It initially premiered at a 
Film Festival, the San Sebastian International Film Festival in Spain in September. It was originally scheduled for a theatrical release on December 2nd, but was delayed until today, the 15th. I actually saw it last night, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Um, I was actually really looking forward to it because this is supposed to be film noir, or at least in kind of the neo-noir style, but very much film noir. Everything about it screamed 40s, noir, minus the black and white. And yeah, I was I love film noir. I I love the I love the cinematography. It's such a beautiful stylized genre. And we're gonna get into all of that. But I, I was very disappointed and bear with me. So this is actually Liam Neeson's one hundredth film. It's directed by Neil Jordan, who also directed Interview with the Vampire. That has nothing to do with anything. I just thought was that was a cool fun fact. I love that movie. It's based on a book by John Banville called The Black-Eyed Blonde. They actually give a little nudge, a little nod to it at the very end of the movie. thought that was kind of sweet. It stars Liam Neeson, Diane Kruger, Jessica Lange, and a large cast of people. So what is this about? This is about a private detective named Philip Marlowe based out of Los Angeles, and he has been hired by a woman named Claire Cavendish, who is looking for her missing lover. He's been missing for several weeks. So he goes on the hunt to figure out where this dude is. Turns out dude is dead. Dude's head was smashed like a pumpkin in a uh, hit and run and kind of gross. So she, he decides, you know, I'm going to break the news to her and say, you know what? He did. And she's like, well, no, he not. I actually saw him. He's very much alive. I saw him in Tijuana driving down the road. And so she's trying to figure out where he is. What's up? What's the take? And he's like, well, you just lied to me, ma'am. You just lied to your husband. What's going on? So Liam Neeson sets out to figure out where Nico Peterson, the missing lover who was who was missing, then was dead, then's not dead, but is still missing, figure out where he is, what his deal is, and why he's in the middle. Because now he's caught between two women who seem to have some sort of relationship with this man, Claire, and then her mother, Dorothy who was in pictures. This movie was a mess. This movie was a hot freaking mess. And I was so sad because I love film noir. I was very much looking forward to kind of a modern take on all these classic tropes, elements, archetypes, what have you. But this movie just completely missed. It was a hot mess of a film. So if you follow me on TikTok, you've probably seen my little TikTok review of this film. And I kind of use the analogy that this is like buying assembly required furniture from Target and trying to put it together without reading the directions. Like all of the pieces are there. It's just not put together correctly. That's what this was. All of the right pieces were there for this film. This was just assembled poorly. And I think you can start off. And the problem is, is it's trying to mimic um, a very popular genre, something that many of us are very much familiar with. So we know what to expect and we have this expectation. We, we, we know what we're supposed to be looking for. And even worse, we know what this is supposed to look like. It's one thing if you're doing neo-noir like a memento or a uh, minority report where the kind of the, the storytelling elements are there. But everything else is just very modern. It's just kind of a modern spin on this classic way of telling stories. It's one thing if you're doing it like that. But when you're trying to actually copy the genre itself, you know, copy all of the rules and regulations of this box, and then you just dismiss most of them, you're going to have a problem. 
Now, if you're not familiar with film noir, I don't think you'll care. You might enjoy this. I don't know. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, it's it's entertaining, not to say the least. Um, but it just felt like I felt like I was watching all of these grown adults play dress up, like they were pretending to be film noir. Like you know, they they're putting on a, a Halloween TikTok. Like let's you know do a cute little trend, a lip syncing trend, with cute clothes and hair, and pretend to be something we're not. It just didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel authentic. It just it felt like imitation crab meat. Like I know this isn't real, but it looks good enough to pass the test. I'm not even sure if this thing passed. Maybe a D minus. But yeah, this was a hot mess all around. God bless Liam Neeson's little heart. This being his 100th film and all. So so where did this thing fall apart? Now, we can talk about film noir and where it missed in that aspect, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think, number one, this cast was way too large. I mean, I guess you can't really ignore the film noir aspects of it all. The cast was way too large, I thought. For this to be a very simple, easy mystery, he's missing, he did, now he not dead, he's still missing, find the man. I thought for as simple as this story arc could have been, there was way too many people in it. There were way too many cooks in the kitchen. And it moved way too slow. And I had a hard time keeping up with people's names. I couldn't remember anybody. Um... Thank God I, I could remember faces, but so keeping up with people's names and it was just very inconsistent in its transitions, the way it kind of jumped from piece to piece. One minute he's fighting these gardeners. Next thing he's standing, talking to this detective, I think it is. I don't even remember his name. Don't ask me who he played, but it was just very jumpy, inconsistent. It didn't flow very well. It moved way too slow. And I think having that many people and it moving so slow, it kind of missed that quick witted intelligence of a classic film noir where it's just very sharp and it has a certain edge to it. This was way too soft. And I just, I couldn't jive with it. I had expectations. Unfortunately, I'm very familiar with film noir. I studied film in college. I actually took an English two class. Now, the school that I went to at the time, English one was just regular English comp. I went to University of North Carolina at Greensboro. So UNCG go Spartans. And English one was just regular English comp. Now, English two was kind of a free for all for the professor. They could make the curriculum up. They could do whatever they wanted with it. And I just happened. I didn't know this when I signed up for the class, but I just happened to get in a class where the teacher was obsessed with film noir. So she decided to combine literature and noir and also kind of talk about, you know, film adaptations kind of in the mix. And very very wonderful class. I think that was a class where I actually watched The Maltese Falcon, maybe Double Indemnity. I can't remember, but I know I watched those both in college. I just can't remember what class. So this is, I'm not unfamiliar with the genre. It's been a minute since I've sat down and watched a film noir. I think the last time I watched something stylized in the noir style was actually an episode of Pretty Little Liars. I want to say maybe season four. Wow. Yes. A season four episode of Pretty Little Liars where Spencer was having a drug induced hallucination and everything was noir and it was beautiful. It was perfect. The acting, the hair, the lighting, cinematography, you know, it had all the cute little elements. It was, you know, it was very short and succinct. And I think that was the last one I watched. This one was, this Marla was just very 
boring in comparison. It lacked that sexy edge, the the high contrast, even though this was in, in color and it was very not black and white. Clearly, there's still things that could have been done with the lighting to give it that high contrast edge of film noir. There's still things that could have been done with the camera to give us those Dutch angles, those exaggerated angles, those highs and those lows. There are there are still ways in which the women could have been lit properly to give them that sexy glow. Here's the thing about film noir is film noir really just took women in film to the next level. It was the first time we really got to see the dark and sexy side of femininity and women were the enemy because you had the femme fatale. You know, you have this sap of a man and a lot of the films, he was some kind of private eye, private detective, a cop, you know, just help us little sap someone you could kind of identify with and then this strong bullheaded alpha woman who was just the one to not be trusted and there was always some kind of connection between the two but yet there was a sense of distrust like he knew she was bad news but he couldn't quite stay away there that was completely missing for this there was no chemistry between him and between Liam Neeson and Diane Kruger that sense of pull like I know she's bad news. I'm a better man and I know better, but yet I am drawn to her. There was none of that. I think also something that kind of worked against this was Liam Neeson's age. Not so much that he's too old. How old is the man anyway? He's 70. Oh my God. When did he turn 70? Huh, I didn't know that. So it wasn't like, I mean, you have a lot of men in Hollywood who are 70 and don't look their age. Jared Leto is 50 years old and doesn't look much older than me. I'm 35. But I think the problem is that he looked old. He looked too old for what we expect from this genre. Now, call me ageist all you want, but let's be real here. I think that was part of the issue is that, number one, he looked too old. Not so much that he was too old. I mean, you can make a 70-year-old look however you want. Um, That's the magic of filmmaking, the magic of makeup. But I think he looked too old and he moved a little too slow. There was nothing... It was just missing that kind of quickness. This movie was just too slow. It, it it didn't move fast enough. For a movie that wasn't even that long, I think this was like an hour and 50 minutes, not even two hours, for a movie that just moved way too slow, it, it just it just didn't ha- it just didn't have it, and it was very, very frustrating. The acting wasn't half bad. The I mean, Liam Neeson is wonderful, but I think he was just very underutilized in this. I think this was, you know... I'm surprised he said yes to this. I feel like this kind of beneath him as an actor. Um, He's a very talented actor. I think a lot of this generation really knows him as kind of an action star, you know, taken and all that jazz. But he's a great dramatic actor from Northern Ireland. He's incredible. And I think this really just did not use his gifts to the best of his ability. Like he was just underutilized in this. The same with Jessica Lange and Diane Kruger. So, I mean, this had a really amazing cast. But it's just the same thing I got from 80 for Brady. If you listen to my review from that is I felt like you had these heavy hitters, these heavy Hollywood hitters, yet the director really didn't know what to do with that caliber of talent. I'm, I'm kind of getting this vibe here, but it's weird though, because this is the same director who worked interview with the vampire. So he worked with Brad Pitt. He worked with Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, a young Kirsten Dunst. So this is, he's not new. This man has been around for a very long time. So he knows what to do with high caliber actors. He knows how to pull a great performance. I don't know what his problem was here. Maybe it was the writing. It just, this wasn't noir enough. 
I'm looking at the writer right now, William J. Monahan. Hold up. I know him. I know him. He is an Academy Award nominated and winner, actually. No, he won. He wrote The Departed. He wrote The Departed. I'm going to say that he wrote The Departed and won an Academy Award and a Writers Guild of America Award for that film. Where did he mess up? I'm very confused. What else did this man write? So, yeah, he wrote Marlowe, Kingdom of Heaven, The Departed, Body of Lies. I think this was not, this wasn't quite his forte. This was something probably new and different for him, but the writing was just off. The It didn't move very well. The trend, it just jumped from scene to scene. At times it was very incoherent. It didn't make any sense. And it was just, it was not noir. And that greatly upsets me, but we're going to talk all about that. Stick with me. If you have never seen a film noir picture, uh, I'm going to give you a quick little crash course. Uh, If you have, if you're familiar, stick around anyway. I love talking about this stuff anyway. So film noir. Now, how it came about, we don't have that kind of time. But what does it look like? What is the genre itself? This is an old classic Hollywood genre that was very popular from the late 30s, early 50s. So from about Maltese Falcon to Touch of Evil, Orson Welles, that time frame of about 20 years. Beautiful, stylish, and it had a very specific look to it. This wasn't just, you know, you know, familiar tropes and archetypes, like with horror, how you have your bad guy and, you know, your helpless little virgin who's going to survive to the very end. This wasn't more than just, you know, characters that we're so used to seeing, but it was very stylized. It had a very specific way of looking, not just the way it looked, but the way it sounded. Like, sounded? The way it sounds. And we are going to kind of go into some of that. Now, Trying to stay on track here. So what the visual style of the film, what does this look like? So the characteristics of a visual style noir film, it's always the low-key lighting, the darkness, the contrast between the light and the dark. Very contrasty. It's very evident that we are playing with shadows. So chiaroscuro, which is a Renaissance term used in painting and while that other jazz, I'm not a big art person, but I know that word from film class. Yes. Uh, German expressionism was a big... Uh, influence for film noir. So German Expressionism, uh, an example, first thing off the top of my head, Nosferatu. I'm I'm pretty sure you can see Nosferatu for free somewhere. Uh, That's that's German Expressionism. I think they're actually remaking that with Bill Skarsgård. Stay on topic. Stay on topic, girl. Stay on topic. You can do it. So that um, the low key lighting, the high contrast, the black and white, uh, the angles. So you always have very low angles, uh, high angles, very exaggerated Dutch style angles and night for night shooting. This was something that was not very common because, you know, this is the early days of film. And so lighting wasn't 
always, it's not what it is now where they had an abundance of technology with respect to lighting and even in the editing room. So a lot of times they had what was called day for night. Day for night was a film technique where they would film night scenes during the day. Now they might mess with something in the camera, like mess with the exposure to make that day look like it's night, or they'd go into post-production in the editing room and mess it, mess with it a little bit to make it look like night. But with film noir, a lot of their night scenes were filmed at night. So they called it night for night shooting. And that was part of the, the the thing because you wanted the they wanted the darkness they wanted to exaggerate and use the darkness almost like the darkness was a character itself, so very little lighting but yet lit just enough so that you could see details you could see people's faces you could see their clothes their expressions beautiful beautiful works of art in this genre. And then you go into what are some of the tropes that everyone has heard of. Everyone's heard of femme fatale. You've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. And that's what this genre really is known for is the common archetype. So you have a detective. So he might be a cop, uh, ordinary citizen, somebody who's trying to figure out a mystery. You're femme fatale. There's usually some kind of corrupt policeman. There's always a corrupt policeman. Um some kind of claims adjuster. So there's always insurance involved somewhere, somehow. A journalist of some kind, a jealous husband. We had that in Marlowe. There was a jealous husband and someone who's kind of down and out on their luck, some kind of idiot. There's always cigarette smoke. It's, I mean, if you've ever seen like someone smoking in black and white film, it's, it's we all hate smoking, correct? Right. But it's beautiful. It just looks good with the lighting and the black and white. It's, it's a work of art. And that was very common in film noir. Now, given that this was, you know, the 30s, 40s and 50s and going into the 60s, they were really bound by the production code at the time, which didn't allow them to be very to, to do a lot of things in film in general, in all aspects of film. Um, you really couldn't show infidelity. It, it was not. Uh, you couldn't show anyone having relations with someone that was not a spouse. If they were married, you couldn't show them being unfaithful. You can imply it, but you can show it. You really couldn't show death, so to speak. It couldn't be too bloody. It couldn't be too gory. And they really wanted to emphasize happy endings. So film noir had to kind of find a way around that because the tone of a lot of film noir movies was very dark, sinister, pessimistic, a very bleak outlook on life. That was film noir. Interesting enough, because this is around the time of the, you know, there was a lot of war and strife and things going on in the world at that time. And film is always a reflection of the culture at the time, always, whether they realize it or not, whether it's intentional or not, because it's all expression. It's all something coming from within and coming out, right? So that was your uh, your typical characters. Now they're usually in some kind of urban setting. Marlowe is set in Los Angeles, but typically you're going to see Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, New York, any kind of urban, a lot of buildings, sharp, any, anywhere where you can get some sharp angles. So you're going to get that in your urban settings, your New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, because it's all about the contrast, the sharpness and those hard edges that look so good in black and white. Now, like I said, so a lot of this was they were very pessimistic, but so much of it was defined by the production code at that time. If you don't know what the production code is, um, I would look it up. Excuse me. I would just look it up. Just Google production code and you can see um, 
all of the different rules that had to be followed. Like in Double Indemnity, um, if I remember, the it's been a while since I've seen it, but justice has to prevail. Like b- evil can't win. You know, there has to, there was, it was a morality code. Um, there had to be some kind of virtuous ending. So they had to figure out a way around that. It was, it was a very difficult time. Now that ended later. There was a whole court case about it, getting rid of the production code. And that's why we have the films that we have today. So this is typical noir. Now the narrative and the structure of film noir is usually a mystery. You're going to get a mystery that happens, you know, because your femme fatale needs help with something. She either needs somebody to help her find something or she wants somebody killed, but they can't outright say that because of the production code. Within your story, you're going to get a lot of flashbacks. You're going to get a lot of, you know, hints at the past, an obsession with the past, um, just very stylized. Sometimes you have voiceover narration and, but for the most part, it, it it's very, first person point of view it usually is for the from the point of view of our protagonist who has been who's being driven to some kind of destruction or some kind of weird end or being thrown in the middle of some kind of chaos by our femme fatale our femme fatale usually is not the lead she is a co-lead of some kind but the story is not does not revolve around her but she is the driving force of the story she is the one who is making things happen and in your uh, film noir, there's usually some kind of MacGuffin. What is a MacGuffin? A MacGuffin is a plot device. Make sure I'm making this, you know, saying this correctly, but it is a plot device that is seemingly insignificant, usually, but it is the driving force of the story, but it is so seemingly insignificant that you tend to forget about it. It's the thing that drives and moves the story forward. The Maltese Falcon in the Maltese Falcon is the MacGuffin, oddly enough, even though that's the name of the book, the movie, what have you. But a good example, probably my favorite example, classic example, you have, um, if you've never seen Citizen Kane, Rosebud. What is Citizen Kane about? I think most people say, oh, it's about the life of Charles Foster Kane. No, Citizen Kane is about a journalist who's trying to find the meaning behind Charles Foster Kane's dying word, which was Rosebud. That rosebud is the MacGuffin. It is what drives the story, the desire and the mystery to know what that means. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, you've completely forgotten about rosebud until that last frame. And you're like, oh, genius movie. It's one of the greatest films of all time. I believe that it's also on HBO Max. If you cannot study film and not watch Citizen Kane, brilliant work of art, incredible. Orson Welles, incredible. There's actually a movie, I think it stars Lee Schreiber. I think it's called RKO something, something, something. I forget what it's called, but I saw it years ago. I think when I was in college. And it's about the making of Citizen Kane. So watch the movie Citizen Kane and also watch RKO 451. I'm probably wrong. Now I have to look it up. RKO was the name of an old studio That produced a lot of Orson Welles films. So RKO 281, I was almost close. So great movie, great movie. 
And another good example of a MacGuffin that you may have seen is in the movie Psycho. What is the movie Psycho about? Oh, it's about this guy who runs a motel. And no, 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 no. Psycho is about a woman who steals $40,000 and ends up stranded at a hotel, at a motel. The MacGuffin is the $40,000. Why does she end up on the road in the rain and ends up having, why does she have to stop at a motel? Because she stole $40,000. By the time you get to the middle of the story, you have completely forgotten about the money. But it is the money that gives us the reason for the story in the first place. Does that make sense? That's a MacGuffin. You have a lot of that in film noir. Now we get back to Marlo. Marlo tries to have a MacGuffin in this ceramic mermaid thingy because they keep talking about Serena. But the thing is, we don't really get introduced to this concept of Serena until kind of the middle. We get an image of this mermaid and then we see the mermaid being dropped into a thing of water. But... It's just, it doesn't, we don't get enough information about, we're not told enough about Serena from the very beginning for it to be a true classic MacGuffin. It doesn't do enough to kind of drive the story. They tried to do this also in Wakanda Forever. They tried to make uh, Riri's invention, I forget what it was, they tried to make that a MacGuffin and it just didn't work. At least it didn't work for me. But they do try to pay homage to kind of old school, at the very end, old school MacGuffins. And they do mention the Maltese Falcon. So where does, how did this fail in terms of this, what a noir is, even though this is neo-noir, so it doesn't have to exactly follow those rules, but it created a film within that framework. Where did this fail? Let's go through it again. We're talking about the style of film noir. Now, even though this movie is in color, you can still play with lighting and darkness. There were moments in the film where it definitely had a noir style angle to it in that there was a lot of contrast. They played with colors, green a lot, I noticed. Um, they kind of exaggerated with the angles a bit, but it was never consistent. Most of the time, it looked like your normal, normal film that we would see any time today, right? It, it really didn't, he didn't seem to have the courage to take the step to really play with the camera and the lighting. I, I, weird though, because he had, he directed interview with the vampire. He's not unfamiliar with darkness. Why am I yelling? I think I'm upset about it. <laughs> so, but he just didn't seem to have the courage to really play around with that darkness. I so that that style was gone. There was no play with the light. There was no emphasis on shadows. The Kiaras girl, which just wasn't there. No Dutch angles, no highs, no lows. Just nothing exaggerated. The lighting on the women was just bleak and boring and normal. And then we have, you know, I think it tried to play along with the uh, the different tropes and archetypes within uh film noir so your private detective your femme fatale your corrupt cop uh, a gangster of some kind but it had way too much it tried to fit everything in there but the thing is you know these are common archetypes within film noir that doesn't mean that every film has this i mean every film is going to have your you know stooge of some kind your protagonist and we're going to get a femme fatale that's standard Okay, you cannot do film noir without that at the very least. Everything else is kind of negotiable depending on the way the story is supposed to go. This movie tried to squish all of film noir archetypes into it and it just it was too much. And it ended up and it ended up being a little bloated. It was very bloated. The cast was way too large. I thought there were way too many people for what the story needed. 
So there was that. What else here? So the the narrative, the structure was pretty normal for noir in terms of the story, you know, private detective, femme fatale, great mystery, pessimistic outlook. There are way too many characters. They decided they wanted to use everything um, that film noir has to offer and stuff it into this movie, but it was just way too much. It was way too bloated. And then we go to, you know, the, the pessimistic outlook of the movie. It ended on way too much of a happy note, but I think it, yeah, it, went, it ended way too happy. Um, justice was definitely served, but I think they could have just left it at that and kept on pushing, but they really just kind of came around, decided to give this a happy ending, a redemptive kind of arc. I think that did a little too much for the genre, not for the movie itself, but for the genre. Yeah, this was just a disappointment all around. Unfortunately for me, I know what I'm looking for when I watch a noir film and I was looking for all of that and it just wasn't there. But I think the most disappointing part of it was the lack of style, just the, the lack of darkness, the, the, the not, I don't understand how you can film a movie in a move in, in an urban setting like that and not play to that setting. That, that's, that's part of the point. Yes, this was filmed in Los Angeles, but when you look at old noir films filmed in some of these urban settings, they're always playing to the location. They're always using the setting to their advantage to help frame the shot or, you know, give life to the different angles and the edges and, you know, kind of create a middle ground. They didn't do that here. There was just, you know, it just missed on every account. And I'm I'm sad about it. Especially given this is Liam Neeson's 100th film. I think he deserved better than this. I just can't believe he said yes. And that's it for Marlowe. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what your thoughts were if you happen to see it. I just think it was just a colossal disappointment. Um, just a failure within the film noir genre, neo-noir. Just everything was just not good. Um, I'm, I'm kind of mad about it. But if you happen to see it and you enjoy it, let me know if you enjoyed it. I, I want to hear from you. I'm not going to, you're not going to hurt my feelings by saying, no, you're wrong. It was great. No, this is the, the beauty of art, okay? It's subjective. Just because I didn't connect with it doesn't mean you won't. So if you happen to watch this and you enjoyed it, tell me why. I want to hear why. I want to hear, maybe I can see things from your perspective. So let me know in the comments, either on YouTube or on Instagram, what you think, how you felt. Um, also, let me know your favorite Liam Neeson film. I want to know. I'm curious. You know, let's celebrate the man. It's his 100th film. So what's coming up? What is coming up? I don't even know, to be honest with you. I haven't bought a ticket in a minute. I'm waiting to see what the weather is going to look like tomorrow to see whether or not I'm going to the movies. If the weather is going to be torrential, that means I'm not going to parade, which means I'll probably end up going to the movies. And if I do go to the movies, I'm going to see Emily. Um, it's a another 2022 film that's coming out this year, will release this year. And it's about Emily Bronte. I'm very excited. Um, anything that's about literature in some way, shape, or form is right up my alley. And then next week, I'll probably be seeing Jesus Revolution. Next week is actually Mardi Gras. Too. Next Tuesday is Mardi Gras. So, and then we get, we kind of skip right into St. Patrick's Day. There's no break. Um, it's one big party for the next several months here in the city of New Orleans. For those who don't know, I live in the city of New Orleans. Hi, come, in, come down, come visit, come eat. Um, there's no judgment here. We've seen it all. 
So tomorrow, if weather sucks, I don't go a parade, go to a parade. I go to the movies and I'll see um, Emily. Next week, I will be seeing um, Jesus Revolution. I am looking forward to that. And then um, I have to start picking out movies for March. Now, if you don't follow me on my Instagram, the link is going to be in not the link, but my uh, username will be in the description on whatever platform you're listening to. Go to my Instagram in the next day or so. I'm going to have a list of all the movies that I will be trying to see in March. That way you can get an idea of what March is going to look like for me and us because this is our show. But this was fun. I enjoy talking about classic Hollywood in any way, shape or form. And even though it was a disappointing movie, film noir is classically beautiful again um the maltese falcon is on hbo max if you've never watched noir highly recommend if you've never watched humphrey bogart highly recommend the maltese falcon go check it out on hbo max i love y'all i hope you had a wonderful valentine's day and if you're in the city or you're somewhere on the gulf coast happy mardi gras and i'll see you soon Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.